Minnesota. Yeah, it's not Friday, but today is spring. Everybody kind of holds their breath, waiting for snow. This makes it a little more tolerable than that. We're going to pray in a little bit. Um, you know, it's really fun. Um, our two boys, they love to pray. And, uh, pray at night and, uh, and, and bring requests to the Lord. It's, it's so much fun. Six-year-old, two-year-old. And uh, I got a kick out of Judah the other night. He's praying because he prays for everybody. It's just a really sweet thing. He's praying for everybody. I pray for everyone on the whole planet. Then he said this, and I prayed for everyone else and all the other planets. So, the aliens are covered. I mean, we've got everybody covered. Um, Judah is praying for the universe. It's awesome. So don't, don't limit your prayers, people. You can pray for the universe. Let's pray. God, thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for loving us. And your grace and mercy. Thank you, Lord, that you're already here. Lord, that as we gather, we lift you up and we worship you. Lord, the word of God says that you are in our midst, that you're here with us. God, we can really believe that. And uh, Lord, again, I pray that as the word of God goes forth, you will speak to us that Lord, maybe looking at passages of scripture that we've seen before, but we're not praying, God, that it would, it would, it would bring new to us. You would speak to us in new ways. You transform us by the power of your Holy Spirit through the Word of God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we continue today on this series called The Last Sermon. And I did plenty of work against it. This last sermon keeps going on and on. This is not my last sermon or the one sermon. It's, uh, we're looking at uh, the Gospel of John, chapters 13 through 17. The reason I wanted to unpack that, and, and, and this goes back a couple of years ago, you know, really focusing on this, um, what Jesus wanted to convey, what he wanted to say before his arrest and crucifixion. Um, the other Gospels, um, Matthew and Mark and Luke, um, they, they deal with it a little bit before his crucifixion that he goes and they break bread together. Remember, they, 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 they um, have the Passover meal and Jesus is saying that he's going to fulfill the Passover. This is my body broken for you. Well, in John, the Gospel of John, he unpacks a little more. We see a lot more detail. We see a lot more of what's going on as Jesus is with his disciples during this, during this very vulnerable hour. Um, and, and the things that he said, the things that he does, the, the messages he's trying to convey and to instill into their hearts before he ultimately is arrested and crucified. And so, and, and, and we all know that, that the awesome rest of the story is he rises from the dead, death could not defeat him, he rises from the dead like he said he would. Um, but in this time where he is pouring into these guys, Things that he says is he is preparing them to start the church, right? Because after this, again, after he rises from the dead and he ascends the Holy Spirit, he's going to actually have the birth of the church. And so I believe he's preparing these guys to be these founding apostles, these founding pillars of the church. 
And so what is he trying to say to them? Ultimately, what is he saying to us? And so today we're going to be picking up um, in, in, in John chapter 13. It's actually only a couple of verses of scripture. Um, we, if you remember last week, the last two weeks we talked about um, where Peter, you know, Peter was going to betray him. And he says that somebody's going to uh, betray and somebody's going to deny. He tells Peter that you're going to deny me and, and that he doesn't say Peter this outright because he said somebody's going to betray me. He understood and his heart was heavy knowing that one of his disciples would betray him. And then, of course, Peter, we looked at Peter, and Peter said, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to deny it. I'll, I'll, I'll go to death with you if I have to. And, and, and what did he tell Peter? So before the, 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 the mystery goes in the morning, he will deny that you know me three times that happened. We looked at that last week. But in the midst of all of that, is an interesting passage that we're going to unpack today. John 13, let's go right to that. It's up on the screen, and you can open your Bibles if you want. John 13. Jesus says, Dear children, so he's with his disciples. He just said somebody's going to betray him. This is actually right before Peter says, I'll die for you. But he says, Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. Again, he's kind of conveying that he's getting ready to, to die, be arrested. I'll only be with you a little longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, this is going to you will search for me, but you can't come where I'm going. The Jewish leaders, he told that. So now I'm giving you a new commandment, a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Now I want to pause right there where he told the Jewish leaders, he said, you will search for me, but you can't come where I'm going. Why would he tell the Jewish leaders, as he told his disciples, I already told the Jewish leaders that you can't come where I'm going. You will search for me. Why would he tell the Jewish leaders that? It's because he's making a point here that the law is imperfect. Right? The law is incomplete. Jesus came to fulfill it. He didn't come to get rid of the law. Remember, Jesus said, I didn't come to get rid of the law, but to fulfill the law. But being a law follower doesn't get you to heaven. That's why he told the Jewish leaders where I'm going. You can't come as long as you're adhering to the law to make you pure, adhering to the law to make you somehow right in the eyes of God, you're missing the point. You can't come where I'm going. Jesus came to fulfill the law. Being a good law follower, being good doesn't get you to heaven. Being moral doesn't get you to heaven. You know that heaven isn't for good moral people. Heaven is for forgiven people. That's why Jesus died on the cross. The sufficiency of the cross, it was enough. Jesus' death and his resurrection. The Jewish leaders of the day, they rejected him. They rejected him as Messiah. That's why they ultimately crucified him. They accused him of blasphemy, being equal to God. But is the cross of Christ, the payment that he made, is the only way to salvation because none of us can be good enough. None of us can be moral enough or follow the law enough. It was incomplete. It was incomplete. His sacrifice was enough. That's why he said it is finished. It is paid before when he's coming on the cross. It is finished. before. Your debt, my debt, a debt that we could never pay by being moral enough, being good law followers. He said, the debt is paid. You can't ever get there by doing that. That's why the law could only take us to a certain place. Jesus had to fulfill the law. 
That's why, remember back in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is challenging the, the Jewish leaders, and he, he's saying, you have heard it said, don't murder. But I tell you, if you have hatred in your heart, it's like murdering someone, you have murder in your heart. What was he doing? They were technical law followers, right? You, you have heard it said that don't commit adultery, but I tell you, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you have committed adultery with her in your heart. In other words, you can technically say, well, I'm not an adulterer because I didn't commit the act. And Jesus says, what about your heart? That's why these good law followers can't be moral enough. There's no other way of salvation except through Jesus. I'll have more on that next week. Come back. John 14. I'll be, I'll be actually addressing a little bit of something that happened in Dawson where uh, there was a, a Muslim man that made a presentation. We can love and respect and show kindness, but I'm going to show you the word of God that what Jesus says, he is the only way to salvation. Good works, morality, incomplete. Jesus is the only way. And I next week we'll get more of that. It's a but you know what? To understand the good news, you got to know the bad news. That's why, that's why the gospel is good news. If you think you're moral enough, then you are the good news. You, you, you are your own truth, except you're the lousy gods and we're not very moral. And in our heart, is darkness. So, to, you know, the, the, the level that you understand the good news is the level that you understand that there's bad news, that I'm rotten to the core, that I'm a sinner, and I need Jesus desperately. So the bad news is I'm a sinner. The good news is He paid my debt in full and they give me life. So we're on that next week. Get ahead of myself. So Jesus says, now I'm giving you this new commandment. So he talks about the Jewish leaders and he reveals that the laws are put giving you a new commandment to love each other. So Jesus calls loving one another a new commandment, interestingly enough. And, you, I, and if you're like me, you ask, how can this be a new commandment? Love isn't a new concept, right? Not in that day, not in our day. Our world is in love with the idea of love, right? Our songs, our movies, books have it. Throughout culture, we hear how love is the answer. Love has the power. All you need is right. Eagles fans. All the kids in the culture, we hear the ring out. Well, love is love. We get to define what love is. The only problem is Jesus already said what love is. We get to new commandment. And so this. As, as the culture of our day is in love with love, and this is also true in Jesus' day. There were philosophers of his day, popular teachers in the first century who talked of the virtues of love. And so how did Jesus call this a new commandment? Because the command of love certainly wasn't new. Remember, if you read Leviticus 19:18, God commanded to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. And you think, well, why is it a new commandment we were told way back then. Why is it new? Why do you ask? There are two Greek words for new here. It's interesting because we unpack the words. It helps you understand the meaning. Two Greek words for new. The first one, the first word is neos. It, it neos meant new in time. Uh, neos was the latest, the most recent. If you got a brand new car, that would be a you got a neos car. The other word was kinos. Kinos meant new in form or quality, different in nature. It's something fresh and unique. It's new and improved. It's love 
2.0. Right? Kainos is the word that Jesus uses here. I give you a new and improved in quality commandment. And so his commandment was new as to the quality and nature of love. So he was talking about a new kind of love. The love that he was commanding had a new measure. It would be like his love for them. The love he was commanding spring from a new power, the power of the Holy Spirit. The love he was commanding would have a new story himself. He's the example. He's the model of it. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, He would give them and us the capacity to love each other. Again, He modeled it. They and us would need Him to love the way He's talking about love. We would need Him to do it. Because He calls us to get to that high standard. He calls, He puts Himself as the standard. Love each other as I have loved you, right? So he calls himself in our past. Jesus doesn't give us the new command to love one another, but then he attaches the highest standard, the greatest measure imaginable himself. So that's the highest standard of love. It's not as you feel like loving them. Isn't it easy to love people that love you back? You love to hang out with people like that. You love me, I love you. That's not what Jesus is talking about. As they have loved you, or as as everyone else loves, but as he loved us. Again, it was his example, radical love. That's why, remember at the beginning of 13, when he, chapter 13, when he gathers in, we talked about this at the first, he began to walk to feet, talk about radical serving. I'm, I'm giving you an example. I want you to radically serve each other. Let that be the mark of you following me. Let that be the mark of Christianity is that you radically serve, you radically love, you radically give. And he's the example in that. So he modeled all of this. And again, as he's ushering a new kingdom, he said, this is, this is the kingdom by which you live as the church. This is the kingdom by which you live as you follow me to radically serve one another, radically love each other. Because it's counterculture. And what was his love? His love was that it was, it was a call to be sacrificial. Not based on feelings and emotions. Now, we are emotional beings. We are created in the image of God. He's given us emotions. But the love that Jesus is talking about transcends emotions and feelings, and it is sacrificial. And they, as we would need Him in the power of the Holy Spirit, as I said, to be able to love one another. A new standard of loving. It's interesting in the new in the rest of the New Testament as Paul is writing letters to these churches and ultimately again to us. And remember, Paul begins his missionary journey to plants these churches. So we that's why we have the book of Romans and Corinthians, the church of Corinth, Galatia, Ephesus, we have the book of Ephesians. Paul begins to write these letters to these churches, he plants these churches, and he is passing on to these churches what he has learned himself. And here's Paul, who was a great law follower. He was a Pharisee of the highest order. 
He has an encounter with Jesus that messes him up, and he becomes a Christ follower, and he begins to minister and plant churches, and so Jesus has instilled this love, and he, you know, I'm sure from the apostles, because he knew Peter, and, and, and he becomes an apostle, that they instill what Jesus meant, and so then he begins to write to these churches about love, and we're to unpack them all we're not going to do. I'm going I'm to look at two passages, two passages that you will be very familiar with as Paul is receiving the new commandment to love one another and then he's talking to churches, ultimately talking to us. So it's a new standard. A new love. So a couple of examples here. Here's the first one. Romans 12. I want you to look at the word let me sink into your heart. You're going to see a counterculture kind of mindset. Don't just pretend to love others. Doesn't that nail us all sometimes? So like, I don't really like you, but I'm going to smile at you and tolerate you, and I don't really want to be around you right now. And Paul calls us up. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. And what he's talking, what is he talking about? He's not talking about. He's talking about self-sacrificial love, not emotional love, not love is love, not what culture defines you. It's not going to be self-sacrificial love. This will be an foundation to the church. Don't just pretend to love it. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with what? Genuine affection. So he's talking about don't pretend to be genuine. Be authentic in your love for each other. And how is this model not? Take delight in honor of each other. And again, we we do this when people do it for us. You honor me, I honor you. You treat me with love, I treat you with love. And he's thought he, he's completely undermining any of that thought and he think, you know what, when you were at your worst while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus wasn't waiting for us to somehow reach a moral place, a, a perfect moral place, and that now I'll love you. That's what Paul says. The good news is while I was in my rotten state, Jesus reached down and he loved me. And he died for me. Take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. And in one sentence, let the Spirit excite you as you serve the Lord. So Paul is tying genuine, genuine love. Authentic love to when I when I when I'm truly loving my brothers and sisters when we're truly loving each other, it excites me to do the work of the Lord. That's why we have to check our attitude, we have to check our hearts when we are when we get to a bad place and we start treating people we're not honoring people and we're and we're treating people poorly or we get into our little pity party or we make it about us. What, we're, what we've missed is genuine, authentic love because when we're doing that, our hearts open up and says, I just want to turn to him because ultimately it's cold for And the next one you will be very familiar with. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 13. I love this passage. I encourage you take time to read it regularly. I encourage you to take time to read it regularly. It's the Again, narrative to being a Christian. Interestingly enough, I encourage you at some point to take those Corinthians 12, 13, 14, 12, 13, 14, and just read it and study it. Now, the Corinthian people, they were known to be excessive in everything they did. They were hedonistic, whatever feels good to it. They were that on steroids. 
If it feels good, you do it. You don't withhold anything from yourself. They were they were eating this to the nth degree. So they were very excessive people. And so Paul, when he's writing this letter to them, he is dealing with some of this stuff. And in, in, in chapter 12, he talks about the, we talk about the body of Christ, that every every member is important. We're all a part of a body. It used to be an analogy of a human body. Some of the hands, some of the feet, some of the head, whatever. And he goes oh, to the head, but some of the nose, mouth, and, 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 and other things. But he, he, he says you have to be interconnected. You have to work together. Right? At the end of chapter 12, he says, but I'm going to show you an more excellent way. And he's getting ready to go into chapter 13 and 14 to see how to, how to do church services, how to do corporate worship together. So I encourage you to look at that. And so let's look at 1 Corinthians 13. You can see what he is dealing with. If I could speak in tongues of earth or men and of angels, but I didn't love others, and again, this is the standard of love that Jesus is inviting us to I would only be, what, a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be... What is Paul saying? Again, you can see the success of the They begin to embrace the Holy Spirit, the spiritual gifts, but he... He's saying spiritual gifts don't prove that you're spiritual. Spiritual gifts in First Corinthians 12, because the Holy Spirit gives that he gives. It's about building up others. It's not about you. It's not to make you look more spiritual, make you look more awesome. And in the success of culture, you can see, well, I've got spiritual gifts, and what the way, and they, they were kind of wearing them, maybe as a little thing, uh, you know, as, as a badge, kind of look, look at the spiritual gifts I got. What, what do you have? Oh, I know the spiritual gifts. I'm eight out of nine. It wasn't about that. He's dealing with it. He said, you know, you can, you can speak in tongues. And that's great. You can prophesy. Even dealing with that, when, you, when you're just making it about you and you're trying to throw off, if you're just a noisy gun, you're a clanging symbol, you can have prophecy, you can, you can plummet, think that you've plummeted the depth of God's knowledge, but if you don't have love, it doesn't mean in Galatians 5, he tells us what the proof of the Holy Spirit is. Right? The fruit. And what's the first one? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and so on. So that's, that's the proof. The fruit doesn't prove. The fruit, I mean, the, 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 the spiritual gifts don't prove that. The fruit does. Then he goes on. So he deals with these spiritual gifts. And he said, if I, have, if I gave everything I have to the poor, so social justice, right? Not that that's not important. So he gets into works. So he just feels the spiritual gifts. If I gave everything to the poor, he just sacrificed my body. I could boast about it, but I didn't, if I didn't have love for others, I would have gained what? What's the motivation by what we do? Again, this, this, this culture who had accepted Christ, and it's easy for us, even as Christians, to get into thinking that works somehow gets us more, uh, more of a place to thought. Because we sometimes struggle, and I'm going to get into this in a moment, we struggle with God's love for us. 
is who we're always trying to earn and grasp of His love, that He loves us. And He said, you know, you can, you can give your body to be burned, you can give to the poor, and you can get involved in all the social justice things of the day, but if your motivation is in the love of Jesus in and through you, it profits you nothing. Yes, we are called to good works. We are. But it's out of the place of receiving His love, loving Him back, and then we're just, we are loving people. We're serving people out of our love for Him, not out of trying to gain something or even bring attention to ourselves. Then He goes on to tell us what love is. If He's going to overwhelm us, He's going to get the standard of Jesus. Because these are the things describing Jesus. Love is patient, it's kind. It's not jealous. It's not boastful. It doesn't brag about how awesome it is. It's not rude. It does not demand its own way. Neon flashing light to culture. It doesn't demand its own way. Give it my way. No, it's not your way. It's Christ's way. He's the standard. Always. It's not irritable. How you doing? You're getting irritable with me. There it is. You can't get it It keeps no record of being wrong. does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth comes out with Jesus. Not our own truth. Jesus. He's the standard. Verse 7. Let us just say, love never gives up. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful. It endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in tongues and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. More knowledge is partial and incomplete. Other verses say we see in part. Our knowledge is partial and incomplete. If you think that you have it all figured out, you're wrong. And the Bible tells you you're wrong. So be irritable with me. We see in part. We don't have the whole picture. That's why it's faith. And even the gift of prophecy reveals only a part of the whole picture. Right? But when the time of perfection comes, those partial things will become useless. When's that time is when we see Jesus face to face? When I was a child, I spoke of Bob reason as a child. I demanded my own way. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. All this is talking about the, the love standard of Christ. Now we see things imperfectly, like pleasant reflections in there, but then we will see everything we would with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely just as God now knows me completely. Isn't that good? He knows us completely. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these as well. Love, not by how we define it, but how Jesus defines it, the standard of Christ himself. Jesus says, love each other as I have loved you. So he makes himself the standard. And I always look at this and it feels overwhelming. And Jesus says, I want you to love like I love. And we look at Jesus and say, there is absolutely no way I can do that. And he says, no, we're getting somewhere. Because you're going to need me to pull it off. This is the place we begin. We can't love without first knowing his love for us. Receiving his love for us. And that, again, that's what gives us the capacity to love each other. This is true love, not what culture tells us. Culture has plenty of messages and plenty of their own preaching out there. 
And if we listen to it and watch it and, and are exposed to it long enough, it begins to affect our heart. That's why we need the Word of God and what Jesus says. It's not about culture doesn't define love. When we, when we understand Jesus' love for us and we receive it self-sacrificial love and put our hope and trust in Him, all other things lose their predominant desire in my life. And all of a sudden, love is love and all this really green things they want to say. Love is Christ, love is through me, and everything else, I would rather have Him than anything. I'd rather have Him than relationships. I would rather have Him than any kind of thing that this world has to offer. He is more important than anything that I could ever have. So his commandment to love each other. We're going to wind down here. I love when pastors say that. His new commandment love for, for us is, first of all, is a selfless love. As Jesus thought about us before he thought about himself. It thinks of others before thinking before thinking of itself. It puts the interest of others before it does. It serves and it longs to serve other people when you're walking in the It longs to just be noticed by God, the audience of one, and I don't care how noticed by another. That's truly love that way. Secondly, I told you to do it quick. His new commandment is a forgiving, reconciling, restoration. As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, it does not keep records of wrong. We remember when Jesus said this, he said, you are to forgive as I have forgiven you. So it's a different radical mindset, radical love, radical serving, radical giving, radical forgiving. He said, when somebody wrongs you, you should need to forgive them like I forgive you. And so we should be at work forgiving others making allowance for each other's faults and, and, and working towards reconciliation rest of our relationship restoring relationship. There's no, again, there's no greater picture of this, this kind of forgiving and love that Jesus modeled to us while we were yet sinners by the sky for us. So out of loving Him, is there a relationship that needs to be reconciled in your own heart, restored? There's someone you need to forgive for your heart. Don't put it off. Don't make excuses for it. What's the Lord saying? Ultimately, this command to love is a sacrificial love. It does more than just think of the other. It does more than just forgive. It lays down His life to each other. Again, that's what we're, we are called as, just as he called his disciples. And Paul writes again in this case, this should be the model of the church. This should be what is flowing out of the church. In a lot of ways, it doesn't happen. Because the massive implication of loving one another, Jesus says in verse 35, your love for one another will what? They will prove to the world, you're my disciples. Nothing else proves to the world that we are disciples of Jesus except our love for one another. And so I think we come in here and have a real spiritual experience. We can see spiritual gifts flowing. We can serve the poor. We can give. And we can do all that stuff that Paul talks about. But if we're not loving one another, we're not laying down our lives for one another, it doesn't matter. This is what's going to prove. This will prove to the world. For the world's watching. 
our love for each other. That is why the enemy fights. That's why the enemy tries to destroy churches and tries to cause infighting and backfighting and gossip and slander and taking each other out and churches split and there are something like 1,500 pastors a month that quit. There are 7,000 churches in a year in America that close their doors. And I imagine most of them, if you go far enough back in time, they were alive and something was happening in those churches, but somehow we get through here and because of stuff and idolatry and worshiping an era and worshiping song styles and worshiping the wrong thing, we have gotten our eyes off of each other, loving and laying down our lives for each other. We've gotten ourselves, our eyes on ourselves, and we've gone off the cliff to so regard our hearts. God forbid. So I said, when Jesus said, I will build my church, and so if a church is dying and it's floundering and it's going off the ledge, it wasn't Jesus' church because he said he would build a church in the gates of hell and So whose church is it? So our love for each other reveals to the world that we are his followers. It shows the world a new and improved a different kind of love. Worldly love loves those who love them. It, it, those who deserve our love, it holds grudges. It leaves when it gets tough. It forgives only when that person admits guilt. It is conditional. If we refuse to love each other like this, the opposite is true. We will prove to the world that we aren't his disciples. So the kind of love Jesus describes is a radical, counter-cultural kind of love that reveals to the world that the gospel is true, that the gospel is real. It has captured my heart, it has changed my life. I knew because of the love of Jesus. I love because He first loved me. I forgive because I've been forgiven much. I realize I don't deserve His love, and yet He has given me His love so freely. And now, because of that, I want to love like begins at the cross, folks. It begins at the cross. It's admitting my own brokenness, my need for Christ, my need for His love. It gives us the capacity to love like we love. Because we can't pull this thing off without Him. We can have the appearance of it, but it's not true. It's submitting, it's surrendering to Him, it's feeding the power of the Holy Spirit to empower us to love like that. So where, where are you today? And I would say this, first and foremost, do you need to receive this love and forgiveness? Because uh, it begins with each of our hearts uh, is right before Him. Do you need to receive His love and forgiveness? A lot of people have struggled receiving God's love. Maybe my past, maybe my, my, the shame of my past, the sins of my past. You don't know what I've done. And Jesus says, I want to walk all that away. There's no condemnation. When you come to me, I give you new life. We will step into a new season and I will walk with you and I will absolutely remove the sins of the past. You can press on to things that are hard for you. Do you wrestle with God's love? We're, we're all sinners and we don't still do. Secondly, do you need to repent today for not loving your brother or sister in Christ? Do you need to forgive someone? Have you gone to the church about someone who's planned the church? Gospel is real. I want to reveal to the world that the gospel is real. 
feel this powerful that Jesus loves them and that we are proving that we are followers of Christ.